Good morning. It is so good to see everybody. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and make your way to Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to begin journeying through, or continue journeying through the book of Ephesians. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be in verse 14 through 21 this morning. If you're new here, I'm so honored that you have chosen to worship with us. My name is Ethan. And uh, I'm one of the pastors here. And so I hope you feel at home today. I hope you uh, make some friends and uh, that today you can worship Jesus with us as we do that together in singing through his word uh, and then later this evening in fellowship. And so I hope you uh, find yourself at home. Today, we are going to finish up the first half of Ephesians. And so we have been walking through every single verse. And specifically today, what we are going to be doing is we're going to be learning how to pray for the church. We're going to be learning how to pray. See, we do not pray just because that's what church folks are supposed to do, but why do we pray? I I want you to consider this. This is a quote from uh, Charles Spurgeon speaking on prayer in the church. He said about prayer that the condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So the prayer meeting is a graceometer And from it, we may judge the divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be slothfulness in prayer. See, I wholeheartedly believe that the measure in which God moves in our church family and the working in our church is directly related to the condition of us as a praying church. See, one thing I've mentioned before is that the well church, we cannot just be a church that can pray, but we must be a church that does pray. It is easy for us to consistently weave in prayer into our gatherings and meetings, but it must be a consistent thread of who we are as a people in every single day, every single facet of our lives that we pray. See, Paul, at the end of chapter 3, he offers a prayer for the church. There are four requests that he offers to the Lord on behalf of the church at Ephesus. And I want to help you see how you can be praying for this church family and how you can be praying for churches in our city and to the ends of the earth. The manner in which Christ builds our church is affected by how we take these verses to heart. And so I believe it is wise and best that we hide them in our hearts, and then commit to pray over the course of our lives and the course of this church and the sister churches around us, these very things. So if you would, let's look at Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14, and then we'll read Paul's prayer to the church at Ephesus. So Paul writes, starting in verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations 
forever and ever. Amen. So let's pray together, and then we will learn how to continue praying for this church. Father, we come to you now for reading this word, seeing the truthfulness of your word. And Lord, I pray that this would be helpful, equipping to us as we learn how to pray for one another and pray for this church at large. And that, God, we would be mobilized to be a people of prayer for this family, for church families all across our city and to the ends of the earth, that we would be equipped to pray for them. So let this be written on our hearts today, pray that you would move in us now, and that in all these things we will grow as followers of Jesus Christ. God, we ask that you work in this moment. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. So, if you haven't been here, just to bring you up to speed what is happening, Paul in chapter 3, after explaining that there is a mystery of the gospel, which is that Christ and his eternal plan had a plan for the church. And the plan that he had for you and I is that both Jew and Gentiles will be brought together and be saved. And so, no matter your background, no matter where you have come from, no matter how deep into sin you were, that Christ will save all who calls on his name. And this mystery was made known to the church, and this church has come together in Ephesus as one. The dividing wall of hostility has been broken down in chapter 2. Christ unites them as one new man, one new family, and now he is going to pray for their strength. He is going to pray that they would be built up as a congregation, not to be where they are, but to continue progressing into maturity, into Christ's likeness as one. And I believe that is the will and desire for our church from the Lord, that we would grow, that we would mature, not just numerically in the number of people, but in the depths in our relationships with Him, and then doing that together. And so he's explaining this, and then opening up in verse 14, we begin to see this prayerful prayerful posture of Paul. So he says in verse 14, if you'll look at it again, he says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And so we see him humbly submitting and going to the Father, and he's offering this prayer of strength that we can model. He bows his knees. This image of submitting to God, submitting to the Father in prayer. And it's from this, this prayer in verse 14 and 15, that he offers up four requests to the church. And are these four requests that they would be strengthened? And I believe you and I need to be praying for this church family and churches all around today. So he moves on in verse 15 and 16. He gives us the first request. And so if you're a note taker, Here we go. The first request that he offers up to the Lord for the church is that they would be strengthened. Number one is that they would be strengthened. He opens up in his prayer in verse 16. Notice he says in 16 that according to the riches of his glory that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So the primary idea, the first thing that Paul prays for is that the individuals in the church and the church together would grow in strength. That they would be built up in their strength by the Spirit of God. That God would take them where they are now and to make them stronger to fulfill His ministry. So you need to pray for your brothers and sisters in this place. 
that God would strengthen them, that God would grow them through his spirit in their inner beings. And here's one of the reasons why. We grow in strength. When we pray for this, that God would grow us in this, our capacity to do ministry increases. The measure in which you and I can serve, make disciples, and to live sent, to go to the ends of the earth, it goes further as we grow in strength. See, more people are reached with the gospel. More people are discipled. More people are sent. And in this, our faithfulness to God grows in His glory and renown is made known. Think about it like this. Folks go to the gym in hopes of getting stronger. That's what I'm attempting to do right now. It's not going that well. But they lift consistently. They train. They focus in the outcome is that if you stick to it over a period of time, is that they can lift more. Hitting personal records, having the ability to do more outside of the gym and the day-to-day, their strength increases as a byproduct of their faithfulness in the gym. See, prayer is our weight lifting. It is our working out, training together by praying together so that we will become stronger as a body of believers. And as we become stronger we can exercise out the obedience to Christ that he commands of us. And then we watch this church grow according to his will. When you pray for the well, when you pray for Essential Church, and when you pray for Madison Bible Church, and you pray for uh, Cornerstone Church, when you pray for all the different churches in town, we would pray that they would grow in strength. I pray that you would do this for each other and collectively at large. We see that, number one, we're to pray for strength of the church, that we would be strengthened. Number two that I want you to see is that we would pray to be indwelled. We would pray to be indwelled. If you look in verse 17, Paul says, this is happening so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And so, Part two to this, this request is a follow-up, a part two to the previous one. He prays that the church would have strength, and one of the reasons for that is so that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. Now, I want to point something out here. This is not a prayer to be saved. It's not that, because the church of Ephesus is full of saints. They are a church who are already saved. But this is a prayer, not to be saved, but watch this. This is a prayer to have the Lord dwell deeply within you. Not just a prayer that Christ will dwell truly within you, but a prayer that Christ will dwell fully within you. See, this is a picture of intimacy with Christ. That one would know the nearness of the Son by allowing Him to take full residence in your heart and my heart. One of the most deep relationships that you can experience or possess with someone, another person or family member, is someone that lives with you. And so, whether it's a roommate or a family member or a spouse, when someone lives in your home, they see and know a side of you that no one else sees, right? Some of you are thinking, yeah, you ought to see my roommates. (laughs) I've seen it all. See, you learn the good. You learn the bad. You learn the secrets. You learn the ambitions. You see a 360 view of that person in their heart because you watch them live their lives. 
You see them for who they really are when you're in the home with them. And then you become a part of it. A part of their story. You do not have the same closeness to others, generally, as the folks that share a home with you in comparison to the rest of the world. Because you share this life together. And so for a family, think about a family, a relationship where the family members have the closest of relationships together, loving one another, caring for one another, inviting one another deeper and deeper into each other's lives as they grow older together, that takes openness. It takes vulnerability. It takes intentionality. It's why you can have a roommate in college and never really get to know them because there's no intentionality there. It's one of the most life-giving rhythms when you do open up, when you do make this intentional effort, because you grow with one another, affecting one another. See, Paul doesn't want Christ just to be in your neighborhood. His prayer is that he will be in your home, in your heart, in the most intimate of ways, so that you would experience him now by being saved, but experience him fully. So we need to pray for this indwellingness of Christ in each other's hearts. We need to pray that the fire of Christ is deep within us and we are experiencing him in the manner in which Christ desires for us to know and love him. You may be here today as a saved Christian, yet you do not sense and know that Christ is resident in your heart right now. Remember, Christ doesn't just save you and then leave you there. But Christ saves you and intends to know you in the most sincere and caring of ways. It is why we are to be strengthened in your inner being and then in your heart, according to this verse. See, if you do not know this, if you feel empty today, following Jesus, yet there's no passion, no fire within you, we need to pray together for you, praying that you would sense and know the intimacy of Christ because he dwells in your heart. This is the Father. This is, this is the Son that, that came from heaven to earth, and now he lives inside of us, and we experience him in the most profound way. It's the Christian journey that you and I have because of who he is. So let's be a church that prays for the saints, prays for one another, who are in love with Jesus, that we would be madly in love with Jesus because we know how much Jesus loves us. Let's pray for Christ to indwell deeply in our hearts. Not only are we going to pray to be strengthened, we're going to pray for Christ to, in, Christ to indwell us. But number three, we need to pray to comprehend. We need to pray for comprehension. Let me explain. Look at verse 8, 17 and 18. It continues on. We see this third petition. He says in 17, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. See, the third request here is to comprehend, is to know. He wants them to understand the love of Christ. Like the Lord wants us to understand how deep his love goes, how deep his love goes. When we think about how how vast is it? How far does it actually go? Look in his text. The breadth, the length, the height, the depth is multifaceted, multidimensional. It's more than we can imagine. 
We see how wide his love stretches, how far his love extends, how high his love reaches, and how deep his love is rooted from this passage. His love reaches across the earth as high into the atmosphere as we can fathom, as deep as the deepest part of the ocean. And as we grow in Christ, his prayer is that you and I would understand that more, that we would comprehend how far that love actually goes. One of the things that um, Alan shared with me when I first had a kid, Heidi, is that when, when she would be born, that you would understand the love of God in a way that you hadn't prior to. And when I think about that, I, I get it, because I think about how I feel about my kids. It's different than I feel about everyone else in the world. Nothing will change that. And so as soon as she was born, I knew the love that I felt for her and for Piper, and I was able to recognize that this is a small glimpse of, of how God feels about me, of how the Father feels about us as his children as his family, that we are adopted into his kingdom. And we see that because of the truthfulness of his word. See, you and I are to pray that we would grow in this understanding of God's love, that we would understand his love more and more until one day his love becomes sight, that it becomes tangible, vivid, whole, eternal. See, he strengthens us Through his spirit, he indwells in our hearts, and then we begin to experience how far his love actually goes, how wide his love actually is, how deep it is. We see this as he lives within us. So we pray for strength, we pray for this indwelling, and we pray for comprehension. And in this, we grow. This is the prayer for strength he gives. So we see this prayer for strength. We see this prayer for indwelling. We see this prayer for comprehension. And then number four, and arguably the most important one from this passage, is a prayer to be full. A prayer to be full. But that feeling tonight when you go to Wells Giving and you're so stuffed, it's almost sinful. By that kind of feeling, but not sinful. <laughs> that kind of feeling, but in Christ. He says in verse 19, Finally, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and then watch this, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you be filled with all the fullness of God? He prays for us to be full. Possibly the deepest component of this prayer, he prays that the church be filled with the fullness of God himself. It's hard to even understand what that means. It is this ultimate experience and complete satisfaction found in God alone. In a world of Christians who feel empty inside, look no further. God wants to fill your soul with himself. One phrase that I hear often in the life of the church and in a Christian journey is when when we think about disciple making, when we think about that idea, One thing I hear often is this phrase, is that before I can pour into somebody else, someone has to pour into me. I hear that that all the time. And I understand that. The idea is like, I'm going to invest my life into someone else. I'm going to pour my cup out. 
and then someone else is going to come along and pour their cup into me by investing in me, and then I'm going to go and pour out again, and this process goes over and over of filling and emptying and filling and emptying. It's this discipleship idea. Now look, I completely understand the idea behind that, but listen to me. That idea is not from the Bible. It's not. We're not made whole by others. We're not made whole by, we're not made full by disciple makers or mentors or pastors or believers more experienced than you and I. Those are great things. They truly are. And I am grateful for those people. But we are made full. We are made whole by Jesus, not someone else. We are made whole by Christ. He fills us with the fullness of himself. And that is truly all we need to thrive in this life. It's why the reformers in the 1500s, they taught solus Christus in Christ alone. Because truly, all we need is Jesus. He is sufficient for everything we need in this life. He is sufficient for all. But we try to take his sufficiency and give it to somebody else. We try to find it in other people and things and places. See, Paul is saying not that. Don't place your hope and look for fullness in those people. But look at himself. Look at God. Look at Christ. Pray that he would fill you with the fullness of himself. It's why in Psalm 23, the famous passage where David writes about the great shepherd, he writes in verse 5, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Notice who fills his cup. It's not someone else. It's Christ the Lord. The Father fills the cup. One pastor said it like this. He said, there was a man who took up a bottle by the seashore. He filled it full of seawater. He corked it down. And then he threw it into the sea. Now, he said he, there it is. There is sea in the bottle. And there is the bottle in the sea. It is full to its fullness, and then it is still in greater fullness. And he goes on to explain what that means. He says, there is my soul with God in it, and my soul in God. The fullness of God in me, as much as I can hold, and then myself in the fullness of God. Let's pray for one another, for our church to experience the fullness of God. A bottle of seawater that floats in the sea. Let's pray that Christ will be magnified and experienced in every facet of our being, our lives, and that we are a people who do not run on empty, but a people who are continually overflowing out of abundance of Jesus because He has made us whole. He is full in us as we are in Him. You don't have to look to someone else. You don't have to look to a gathering. You don't have to look to a moment to find this satisfaction, this feeling for the voids we have in our life. All you have to do is look to Jesus. It's how the first century church persevered to the end. It's how all of Christian and Christians in Christian history made it through the course of their lives through hardship and trial. It's how we today will persevere in a, in a new season because Christ is the one who makes us whole. He finishes his prayer in verse 20 and 21 by what we call a doxology. A doxology, meaning a moment of praise, this 
prayer, this praising moment to the Lord. He says in verse 20 and 21, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Folks, God is able to do more than you and I can even think. He's able to do more than we can imagine. I pray that our church would experience the movement of God in ways that can only be explained by Him. Because He is the one that is already at work in ways that we cannot even fathom in ways that we cannot even understand. I pray that you and I would know this, that when we pray for this church, when we pray for the believers in this place, when we pray for other churches and believers all around the world, that we would have this in mind, that God is doing more than we could ever even know. And so when we pray, we pray confidently for strength, for indwelling, for this comprehension, for this fullness, because God can and he will do these things through prayer. He will. We think God may be limited in what he can do. Who can he save? Who can he redeem? Who can he free? Think. He can do far more than all we could ask or think. And so I pray that our church would commit all things to the Lord because he is moving. He is doing it. And finally, I hope and pray as the way he closes this doxology is that it is done for his glory and for his alone. He says in that final verse in his prayer, he says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We pray for his glory and for the name of Jesus to be lifted up and for him alone from first to last, beginning to end, that every member of this church would lift high the name of Jesus Christ. And all that happens here on the hill because he is the one that fills us with the fullness of himself as a people gathered together. Christ has indwelled us. He is moving to each room in our lives. His, his, he has come to live within you. Now listen, has Jesus, the friend of sinners, Saved you? As we come together as a people saved, embraced by the fullness of God, the salvation that comes from Him and Him alone, have you tasted it? Have you experienced it? He says, taste and see for the Lord is good. As we sang a while ago, Jesus Christ has conquered death. He rose again. And now you can receive eternal life. You can receive freedom from sin by trusting in Jesus. The promise he gives us in Ephesians chapter two is that but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, Christ made us alive together. By grace you have been saved. In verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Some of you may be here today and you're awaiting that fullness. You're awaiting for Christ to come live inside of you. You don't have to wait any longer. See, so he calls to you today through his word. 
I just want to invite you to trust in Jesus. He promises to come live inside your heart and your soul. And then you will experience the fullness of God as you are brought near to him. Trust in him today. And for the rest of us today, let's pray this for our church. Pray for strength. Pray for indwelling. Pray for comprehension. Pray for the fullness of God. Let's pray these things and then watch God grow us, mature us, and he himself be lifted high. Let's pray together.